Chapters 11 and 12 of Is Shakespeare Dead by Mark Twain. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapters 11 and 12. Chapter 11. Am I trying to convince anybody that Shakespeare did not write Shakespeare's works? Ah, now, what would you take me for? Would I be so soft as that? after having known the human race familiarly for nearly seventy-four years it would grieve me to know that any one could think so injuriously of me so uncomplimentarily so unadmiringly of me no no i am aware that when even the brightest mind in our world has been trained up from childhood in a superstition of any kind it will never be possible for that mind in its maturity to examine sincerely dispassionately and conscientiously any evidence or any circumstance which shall seem to cast a doubt upon the validity of that superstition i doubt if i could do it myself we always get at second hand our notions about systems of government and high tariff and low tariff and prohibition and anti-prohibition and the holiness of peace and the glories of war and codes of honor and codes of morals and approval of the duel and disapproval of it and our beliefs concerning the nature of cats and our ideas as to whether the murder of helpless wild animals is base or is heroic and our preferences in the matter of religious and political parties and our acceptance or rejection of the Shakespeare's and the Arthur Orton's and the Mrs. Eddy's. We get them all at second hand. We reason none of them out for ourselves. It is the way we are made. It is the way we are all made, and we can't help it. We can't change it. And whenever we have been furnished a fetish and have been taught to believe in it, and love it and worship it and refrain from examining it there is no evidence howsoever clear and strong that can persuade us to withdraw from it our loyalty and our devotion in morals conduct and beliefs we take the color of our environment and associations and it is a color that can safely be warranted to wash whenever we have been furnished with a tar-baby ostensibly stuffed with jewels and warned that it will be dishonorable and irreverent to disembowel it and test the jewels we keep our sacrilegious hands off it we submit not reluctantly but rather gladly for we are privately afraid we should find upon examination that the jewels are of the sort that are manufactured at North Adams, Massachusetts. I haven't any idea that Shakespeare will have to vacate his pedestal this side of the year 2209. Disbelief in him cannot come swiftly. Disbelief in a healthy and deeply loved tar baby has never been known to disintegrate swiftly, and it is a very slow process. 
It took several thousand years to convince our fine race, including every splendid intellect in it, that there is no such thing as a witch. It has taken several thousand years to convince that same fine race, including every splendid intellect in it, that there is no such person as Satan. It has taken several centuries to remove perdition from the Protestant Church's program of post-mortem entertainments. It has taken a weary long time to persuade American Presbyterians to give up infant damnation and try to bear it the best they can. And it looks as if their Scotch brethren will still be burning babies in the everlasting fires when Shakespeare comes down from his perch. We are the reasoning race. We can't prove it by the above examples, and we can't prove it by the miraculous histories built by those Stratfordilators out of a hatful of rags and a barrel of sawdust. But there is a plenty of other things we can prove it by, if I could think of them. We are the reasoning race, and when we find a vague file of chipmunk tracks stringing through the dust of Stratford Village, we know by our reasoning powers that Hercules has been along there. I feel that our fetish is safe for three centuries yet. The bust, too, there in the Stratford Church. The precious bust, the priceless bust, the calm bust, the serene bust, the emotionless bust, with the dandy mustache and the putty face unseamed of care. That face which has looked passionlessly down upon the awed pilgrim for a hundred and fifty years and will still look down upon the awed pilgrim three hundred more with the deep, 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 subtle, subtle, subtle expression of a bladder. Chapter 12 Irreverence one of the most trying defects which I find in these, these, what shall I call them, for I will not apply injurious epithets to them, the way they do to us, such violations of courtesy being repugnant to my nature and my dignity. The furthest I can go in that direction is to call them by names of limited reverence, names merely descriptive, never unkind, never offensive, never tainted by harsh feeling. If they would do like this, they would feel better in their hearts. Very well, then, to proceed. One of the most trying defects which I find in these Stratfordilators, these Shakespeareoids, these thugs, these Bangalores, these troglodytes, these Herumphrodites, these Blatherskites, these Buccaneers, these Bandoliers, is their spirit of irreverence. It is detectable in every utterance of theirs when they are talking about us. I am thankful that in me there is nothing of that spirit. When a thing is sacred to me, it is impossible for me to be irreverent toward it. I cannot call to mind a single instance where I have ever been irreverent, except 
toward the things which were sacred to other people. Am I in the right? I think so. But I ask no one to take my unsupported word. No, look at the dictionary. Let the dictionary decide. Here is the definition. Irreverence. The quality or condition of irreverence toward God and sacred things. What does the Hindu say? He says it is correct. He says irreverence is lack of respect for Vishnu and Brahma and Krishna and his other gods and for his sacred cattle and for his temples and the things within them. He endorses the definition, you see. And there are three hundred million Hindus or their equivalents back of him. The dictionary had the acute idea that by using the capital G, it could restrict irreverence to lack of reverence for our deity and our sacred things. But that ingenious and rather sly idea miscarried. For by the simple process of spelling his deities with capitals, the Hindu confiscates the definition and restricts it to his own sex thus making it clearly compulsory upon us to revere his gods and his sacred things and nobody else's. We can't say a word, for he has our own dictionary at his back, and its decision is final. This law, reduced to its simplest terms, is this. 1. Whatever is sacred to the Christian must be held in reverence by everybody else. 2. Whatever is sacred to the Hindu must be held in reverence by everybody else. 3. Therefore, by consequence, logically and indisputably, whatever is sacred to me must be held in reverence by everybody else. Now then, what aggravates me is that these troglodytes and muscovites and bandoliers and Buccaneers are also trying to crowd in and share the benefit of the law, and compel everybody to revere their Shakespeare and hold him sacred. We can't have that. There's enough of us already. If you go on widening and spreading and inflating the privilege, it will presently come to be conceded that each man's sacred things are the only ones, and the rest of the human race will have to be humbly reverent toward them or suffer for it. That can surely happen, and when it happens, the word irreverence will be regarded as the most meaningless and foolish and self-conceited and insolent and impudent and dictatorial word in the language. And people will say, whose business is it? What gods I worship and what things hold sacred? Who has the right to dictate to my conscience? And where did he get that right? We cannot afford to let that calamity come upon us. We must save the word from this destruction. There is but one way to do it, and that is to stop the spread of the privilege and strictly confine it to its present limits. That is, to all the Christian sects, to all the Hindu sects, and me. We do not need any more. 
the stock is watered enough just as it is it would be better if the privilege were limited to me alone i think so because i am the only sect that knows how to employ it gently kindly charitably dispassionately the other sects lack the quality of self-restraint the catholic church says the most irreverent things about matters which are sacred to the protestants and the protestant church retorts in kind about the confessional and other matters which catholics hold sacred then both of these irreverencers turn upon thomas paine and charge him with irreverence this is all unfortunate because it makes it difficult for students equipped with only a low grade of mentality to find out what irreverence really is it will surely be much better all around if the privilege of regulating the irreverent and keeping them in order shall eventually be withdrawn from all the sects but me then there will be no more quarrelling no more bandying of disrespectful epithets no more heartburnings there will then be nothing sacred involved in this Bacon-Shakespeare controversy except what is sacred to me. That will simplify the whole matter and trouble will cease. There will be irreverence no longer because I will not allow it. The first time those criminals charge me with irreverence for calling their Stratford myth and Arthur Orton, Mary Baker, Thompson, Eddie, Lewis, the 17th, veiled prophet of Corassin, will be the last. Taught by the methods found effective in extinguishing earlier offenders by the Inquisition of holy memory, I shall know how to quiet them. End of chapters 11 and 12